Foster Care Nation. Listen up. We have some exciting news to share. We're going to offer up our first ever webinar. If you've ever been curious about what it takes to be a foster parent and help kids in hard places, join us on February 18th at 5 p.m. Central for our free no obligation webinar. We're going to share our hard-earned knowledge and experience with anyone who has ever wondered about helping kids from hard places. If you're interested, go to fostercarenation.com and sign up for our newsletter. This is where you can get the details and the links to join us so that you'll be able to ask any questions you have in the question and answer section. Now, I know what you're thinking. Webinar. A free, no obligation webinar. It sounds like there's a sales pitch at the end. I've listened to a lot of webinars, guys. I know what you're thinking. I don't have anything to sell you. I don't have anything to sell you. I promise I don't have anything to sell you today. But what we are going to do is try and support you and help you join us in our mission to help kids. And if that's what you're interested in, come see us. I promise you, we're not selling anything today. We're just going to offer up our experience, our knowledge, and trying to help some people who are interested in helping kids. As you can tell in the background, I have some kids. They're here. They're noisy. And I'm not even going to try and quiet them down at this time because I am not going to get that done. They're wound up out there, but you know what? They're happy. And that's what we're looking for. We're just trying to provide a safe place for kids, trying to help them through some of their traumas, some of their things, and make this world a better place. And if you want to join us on that mission, we welcome you to show up February 18th at 5 p.m. Central. Like I said, fostercarenation.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and that's where you'll have all the information come out. Thank you so much. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and I'm Paralyzed Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Today's guest is Jeannie Human, author of the book, Love Never Quits, Surviving and Thriving After Infertility, Adoption, and Reactive Attachment Disorder. If you're a foster parent or an adopted parent, or have ever thought about becoming one, this is a topic you need to hear about. We recently interviewed Cheryl Rougeau, who told their story of dealing with reactive attachment disorder in a child who did not get the help they needed at the time they needed it and was misdiagnosed for a very long time. Gina's story, however, has hope. So sit back, put your phone in your pocket, and listen to the knowledge that she has to drop. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason. And Amanda. And with Gina. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing well, doing well. We wanted to talk to you because we've had plenty of stories about different experiences. I've never heard anybody having an experience with RAD that turned out particularly well. And when I saw your TED talk, I just knew that we had to talk to you because you have a story that has some hope in it. And yes. <laughs> and that hope is, is always kind of juxtapositioned against the hopelessness that I'm certain you probably felt at first. So what can you tell us about how this all started? It started the minute we adopted him, to be honest. We just didn't know what to look for at the time. Um, there were signs that he was neglected. Like, for example, when we went down to Guatemala to pick him up, 
he was sitting on my lap in the restaurant at, at the hotel and he was diving across the table. He was six months old, diving across the table for food. And we thought, you know, he has a good appetite. We didn't know that that was a sign that he probably wasn't fed with his foster mom. Uh, we got a bad vibe about her. Uh, when we first got him, it was like the planets had to align to get him to sleep. It was, it was very challenging. He, he would throw these, you know, tantrums for sometimes up to four hours at a time when he was a toddler. Um, we could not figure out what was wrong with him. We, um, you know, went through so many diagnoses. We started with, you know, obviously, obviously it's ADD after three minutes of looking at him. <laughs> and then over the years, it became, well, maybe he's bipolar. And they just kept throwing more meds at us. And really, it took so long to get to the RAD diagnosis. It was probably a decade before we actually got to that diagnosis. And once we did, that made so much sense to me. We thought back, we're like, oh, yeah. I think he was neglected. Um, we know he was malnourished in the womb. So there was, he just had everything against him before we picked him up. And, um, you know, as adoptive parents, you just think, oh, we can just love him and discipline him and he'll be fine. And you don't realize that sometimes love isn't enough. You need to get some outside help. And we had been doing that for years, just you know, I was open to trying everything. So we tried, you know, uh, alternative techniques. We tried regular therapy. We tried medications. We tried, uh, uh, what did they call it? Friendship groups. That was like a group therapy for kids in elementary school where they um, learned anger. Um, they learned how to manage their anger and they learned how to socialize with other kids my kid was the the leader of that group. He was so good at it. He knew everything from all this therapy he had been in. But in the moment, he couldn't access it. And um, that was the real difference is that his brain would just go from like zero to 60 anger <laughs> at the smallest things. We were constantly walking on eggshells. Um, and then as puberty hit, things just started spinning out of control. That's when he got to the point where he was trying to hurt us. Um, he had pulled out a butcher knife at one point and threw it at his brother. And at that point we had to start locking up all the sharp objects around the house. Um, he was not wanting to go to school no matter how hard we tried. So we would call the school resource officer and he had no problem showing up to school in a squad car but um, it was still a challenge. He just didn't, didn't want to go. He had a, so much anxiety. Um, it, he was just one challenge after another. And it seems like as soon as we got one thing figured out, like something else would happen. And we just, I, I spent so many days crying on the floor of the closet, wishing that someone would give me an answer. <laughs> so. Wow. 10 years. That's yes. a really long time. It's very long. And I was actually starting to count down the days till he was 18. I'm like, how much longer do we have to do this? <laughs> and, um, and then we eventually found an amazing combination of solutions. So um, for us, the, the catalyst was having him go to the juvenile assessment center 
Um, he had assaulted a teacher at school and they took him in a squad car. He was, they wouldn't let me pick him up till about 5 PM. So the whole day I was worried, you know, what is, what is my kids saying? And I, I was convinced he was going to say, you know, we were beating him and we were going to lose both of our children. And I mean, everything you can possibly, every scenario you can possibly imagine that's bad was going through my head. (laughs) We finally got there um, to pick him up and he, uh, the, the lady at the place said, you know, we've been talking to him for about six hours now and we suspect he has reactive attachment disorder. And at that point we had already had our diagnosis. And I said, yeah, no kidding. What can we do about it? And, you know, so they gave us the usual, here's a list of therapists. I'm like, do you know how many therapists I've seen? I started getting really angry at them. And, um, an intern poked her head around the corner and she said, Hey, I have an idea. And I said, sure. What's your idea? She said, well, my uh, friend is doing an internship at this place up in Evergreen that specializes in um, reactive attachment disorder. Would you like to, would you like his number? And I said, yes. (laughs) So I called this guy immediately on my way home. I think the next morning he called me, we talked for about an hour and a half and I just knew he was our savior. He knew exactly what was going on in our house. And, um, he had a really good track record of how to fix it. He's actually a world renowned specialist that goes all over the world to train other countries on how to deal with rad. So, um, I felt really good about him. My, my kid just loved him. We did family therapy for two weeks And um, at the same time, we had found a different school for him that was a therapeutic school that had, you know, yoga and meditation, and they were much more focused on kids that were outside the box. And so that helped a lot, too. So I think the combination of school and this family therapy, um, after that, it was about a year. I didn't notice a big difference because he was still flipping out at at random times. But what we didn't notice because we live with them every day is that they were starting to come fewer and further between. And we had our family therapy in May, went home for Christmas. And my whole family was like, wow, he's so different. He's so calm now. And we're like, he is because he's still kind of flipping out. But then we realized another six months went by. And then my husband said, when was the last time he broke something on purpose. And I was like, I don't know, but don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, so it ended up, that was like it, like now he's, he's very mellow. Um, he still has some rad symptoms. I mean, we're still working on the food issue because he was neglected and didn't get fed properly when he was a baby that's uh, still in his head. Like as soon as a hunger pang hits, he thinks he's going to die. So, um, you know, we're, we're still getting some therapy for the food issue, but other than that, I mean, he's, he's not flipping out. He's not throwing things at us anymore. It's um, it's pretty amazing. And he wants to be a psychologist and help other kids with rad someday. So I'm hoping that's where he's going to (laughs) go. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it shows a heart for helping people coming out of out of a really hard place. 
Yeah. And, you know, he's kind of always had the empathy piece. And I know that's not always common with kids with rad. But when he was little, he would every time we saw a homeless guy on the corner, he was like, well, don't we have some food we can give him? And, you know, when we went to our synagogue for religious school, um, he would always pack something for the homeless people that we would pass on the way to the to the synagogue because there was always one guy on a specific corner so he was like we have to pack stuff for the guy and maybe some of his friends so he um he really does love helping people yeah that's interesting that the empathy piece was such a big part of his life and i mean where do you think he got that from is that something that that you guys emphasized with him when he was young you know i think so we're very empathetic people as well but i mean i'm not i'm not that good at feeding homeless like he is but <laughs> but um but we are empathetic people and i know that we read stories to him about you know helping others and things like that but i he's just it's been an an innate thing with him is that it's he's pretty empathetic and he wants to help everyone else because i think it gives him control and he feels like he can't help himself but he can help other people <laughs> Wow. Well, it sounds as you were talking about, you know, going through the harder moments, it sounds like you had a, a lot of frustration and hopelessness in your in your life there that you were trying to figure out how to deal with. What was that like for you as a mom? Oh, my God, it was so hard. I, I always tell people if he had been my first kid, we only would have had one because I thought I was a terrible mother. I couldn't figure out, you know, I you talk to your friends and they're like, oh, well, we do this one, two, three technique, or we do this love and logic, or we do this, or we do that. And they, you know, people would actually give me books because they were like, well, obviously she doesn't know what she's doing. Here's a book. You can maybe get some help. And it, it was so frustrating because I kept thinking, well, look at my other kid. He's so good. Like, doesn't that mean I'm doing something right? <laughs> But um, but it was hard. I mean, even family, you know, we would go over there and they're like, you know, you need to start giving him spankings or you need to give him timeouts. And and, you know, the therapists were telling us different things. And, you know, we were just we felt so lost for so many years and just never knew what the solution was. And I, I know my older kid at some point was like, why do we keep throwing money at all these therapists and things? when nothing's ever going to help him. And I just kept saying, well, something's got to help. Something's got, we can't stop trying. He's our, he's our family member and that's what we do. We try to help each other out. Where did you find support? Um, that was really hard because there wasn't a lot of support for many years. I do have a few friends that have been with me since the very beginning um, I have a friend down the street. It was her house that um, he would run away to when he was like six or seven years old and he would run away from home. He would always end up at their house and her husband would always call me and say, we have a small human here. Do you want to pick him up? And um, they would let him, you know, hang out at their house until he calmed down because that was the thing with his reactions they were so intense that if you brought him home early, it was just going to extend it, you know? So if he could just calm down in a safe place and then we could bring him home, it was much better than if we tried to like force him or carry him home when he's in that mood. So, you know, you mentioned something earlier and it's something that when we talk with Cheryl Rougeau and her story about having a daughter who suffered from a really 
difficult rad case. I mean, hers was incredibly severe. And towards the end of the story, she mentioned something very similar. And that was that she realized eventually that it wasn't a matter of her wanting to become this person. You know, it was a matter of what would happen to her daughter as opposed to what her daughter was choosing. And you mentioned, you know, that, that he did so well in some of those elementary school groups, but that where he had the skills, he could not access them. When did you realize that it wasn't a matter of didn't want to or chose not to, but it was a matter of could not? You know, that's the part that took me the longest. Um, and I think that's the part that helped the most, too, was when I realized that he wasn't doing this on purpose and I changed my mindset that he is broken and he needs help. And, you know, um, one of the one of the protocols they follow at school, I can't remember who the therapist is, but it's um, kids do well if they can and if they can't then something is getting in the way. And that helped me a lot. That was after we had moved to the the new middle school and they had a class for us parents on the the same disciplinary tactic they use at the school so that we would all be on the same page. And that was all about, you know, finding out what skills he was missing and then helping him develop those skills and not just punishing him for not doing something that he couldn't do. Um, I read somewhere like, you know, everybody's smart, but you can't ask a fish to climb a tree, you know, so, so you can't ask somebody to do something they they don't have the skills to do. Yeah. So that's when I started to realize that, you know, it took a whole different kind of parenting and I had to be a lot more positive and I had to stop thinking that he's doing this to me or that he just hates me or he's just not a good kid. I had to go back and think about the neglect and the trauma that he suffered and really get to a different place. And that probably took me almost 10 years. It was once I discovered the RAD diagnosis and started doing research that that's kind of, we all had to get to a different mindset. How has that affected your relationship with your other child? You know, my, my other kid is wise beyond his years. And he always has been, even as a little kid, he was really um, like, he he would have conversations with you. Like he was a college student when he was just three or four years old. So he was, he was always very communicative. Um, It was hard on him. And looking back, I wish I had gotten him more therapy to get through this because he always seemed like the easy one, the resilient one. And, so um, I know he struggled a little bit in like high school, especially having a brother that's flipping out all the time. But he's very lucky. He has a very loyal group of friends that have been with him since he was little. And they've all seen the red incidents and they were all very supportive with him. So he's, his friend group understood. And, um, you know, he's he's actually done pretty well. You know, I, I mention all the time that I'm part of a dad's group and I talk with a lot of other dads and the top, a lot of the topics that we end up talking about tend to be things like figuring out how to control the things in your house. And we've gotten to the point where we mostly understand that we can't always, we can rarely control the things in our house, right? We can usually right. only influence what's going on, but 
when as a dad, especially as a young dad, you know, I can only imagine that your husband was going through some of those same emotions and trying to figure out how to manage that, you know, these daily crises that occur all over the place. How did that affect him and and your relationship with him and his ability to see himself as the leader of a house when you have a kid who's not neurotypical and all these things that everybody else tells you to do don't work. Yeah. It it was very hard on all of us. Um, You know, my husband and I have a really good relationship and we always have. And thank God we never divided over this. I know a lot of couples with rad kids, you know, the, the one of the parents will be like, Oh, we should try this. And the other parents like, no, we're not doing that. My husband was always open to new ideas. So if I said, you know, let's try this, um, he, he was willing to try it. He also comes from a family where they are big believers in therapy. And, you know, his younger brother studied psychology and sociology and has worked with troubled kids. And so it's it's a very supportive family on that side. And um, so they they know the value of therapy. So my husband was never um, closed off to that idea that we needed to get therapy. And that's really good because sometimes, you know, you get divided and you never get back on the same page, especially if you're home and you're the caregiver. Usually, typically, you're the one that's, I don't know how to explain it, but maybe you're the one that's attacked more and the other parent doesn't see that and they come home and everything's, oh, and then you're like, you would not believe the day I had and it was terrible and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so sometimes there's a lot of divide and conquer there. So it's really hard sometimes to stay together as a couple. It is, but we had an agreement and I know this sounds funny, but we were actually serious about it. We're like, okay. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show. Whoever asks to leave the relationship has to take the rad kid with them. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't keep you together. (laughs) Yeah, that's one way to think of it. I know people think I'm saying that funny, but I'm like, okay, but that was true. Like neither one of us knew we both knew we couldn't do this alone. We needed each other to to do this. Yeah, that's that's a real truth bomb right there. We need each other. We can't do this on our own. You right. know, and did you recognize that in the moment or how long did that take you guys to get to the point where that was part of your bond? Oh, that was early, I think. <laughs> it was just so challenging. And we just kept saying, nobody understands but us. Nobody's in our house but us. So we have to be together on this. And so we always said, it's us against them or us against the world. And <laughs> You know, that's one of the things that, that we've heard about a lot of people talk with, with who deal with Rad is that it's very much a just us against them sort of mentality because the world doesn't see that. Did you have people in your in your friend group and your community who were really putting a lot of that judgment on you? And and how did you handle it? Um, I, I cried a lot. I drank a lot of wine. <laughs> I I really struggled for a long time because even you know I'd go to the elementary school and I could 
I could see other moms whispering about me. Oh, she's the mom of the bad kid or whatever. And it, it was really hard. And one time I was at Target. My kid threw a huge meltdown tantrum. I was trying to drag him out of the store. Um, he was old enough that I couldn't just pick him up and carry him anymore. But he was throwing some a huge screaming tantrum that like they could hear from the parking lot. So I'm pulling him out of the store just to get him away. I abandoned a card I had spent an hour filling. And as I, you know, was heading out the door, a lady came shaking her finger at me and she said, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, you're failing as a mother. I don't remember exactly how she said it, but she said, I raised six children and none of them ever acted like this in public. You should be embarrassed. You're, you're failing as a mother. And I got in the car and I cried the entire way home. I was like, I don't know what else to do. I, I can't fix this. So it was it was hard. We got so many judgments from everybody. How did you handle it in the moment? Did you say anything back to her? I, I don't even remember what I said. I, I know I was so flabbergasted that I think I just I just glared at her and left. But, you know, I came up with a lot of great comebacks when I got home. But <laughs> in the moment, I just couldn't come up with them. Oh, I have lots of comebacks. They're just usually not appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we've seen some some things that, in our experience that, that may or may not be rad involved, but a lot of the same things that, that at least at a bare minimum are trauma-based. Right. And people don't understand that. You know, people do not understand what trauma really means. And and when they see it, oftentimes they see you as a bad human, a bad parent, an uninvolved parent. You know, you're a mom who doesn't care about your kids. You're just giving them what they want, yada, yada, yada. And that's a real struggle to get through that for, for us sometimes and for all parents who deal with kids who have some sort of deep trauma. Um, so when, when you're going through that and people are, are giving you those pieces of judgment how did you how did you get through that and get to the other side where where you could you could understand that look I'm doing the best I can and I trying to help this kid and other people don't understand it they might see it they don't know the story so how how did you look at that and say nah this is not this is not about me and my child's behavior is not a definition of who I am well, like I said, that probably took me about a decade. Once I got to what it was, once I got the RAD diagnosis, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want that diagnosis. I'm like, I did because I, at least there was a reason. Like, it wasn't just you're a bad parent. It was this kid's been through so much trauma and we need to heal that trauma. Um, that's when I started to to think I deserve better with, you know, the judgments and things like that. And I, I know one day I was, I was crying on the floor of my closet and I said, I said, God, please, if you ever get us to the other side, I promise I will do my best to help other families. So that was the whole gist behind why I did my TEDx. I was like, you know, I probably wouldn't have done this if we were still in the thick of it. But since we were kind of coming to the other side, I felt much better about sharing all of our experiences and what we've been through to help others see what trauma can do. And I think we really need some different laws. We really need some different laws in this country that are going to help um, 
you know, foster kids especially because they have a much higher incidence of childhood trauma and RAD and they need therapy. And it doesn't seem like the foster system is really helping with the right kinds of therapies and the right kinds of treatments. And that's one of those things that really I think does does need addressing in the in the foster system. We've had a couple of kids who were diagnosed rad um, at, at a very young age, and and our experience with them was really challenging to figure out how to handle that. But there's just was not much information out there. I mean, I mean, my God, we have Google and YouTube now, right? If I want to know how to do some underwater basket weaving, I can go find a YouTube video on it. <laughs> but how to handle rad is not nearly as prevalent out there in in the YouTube world, even even yet. Well, I think partly it's because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to admit that you do not know how to parent your child. Um, You know, we all want regular, normal kids where we can put up a sticker chart, but some of us didn't get that. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sticker charts work great for some kids. (laughs) Not mine. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, And most people don't understand it, but when you go to the far end of the spectrum, Unrad, especially when you get way out there. Some of the diagnoses that I've seen done kind of post-mortem have names like like Hitler, Adolf Hitler. You know, psychologists have gone back and looked at him and diagnosed that as having been obviously a very extreme rad case. But that's where a lot of the issues started for him. Well, and you know, my TED Talk, I talk about um, the Oklahoma City bomber. He was... um, supposedly a rad kid he had trauma um who else do i talk about oh nicholas cruz the uh, parkland shooter he was he had so much trauma as a kid and you know if we could have just gotten these people therapy when they were still young enough i think it would have made the difference so as you're talking to a parent out there who's going you know i've had struggles with my kid you know what are some of the things that that you would say to look at and think this might be something to look for and a direction for them to head? Um, I, well, I, I have these friends that started a nonprofit called the Rad Advocates. They are awesome people to start with because they can talk through the Rad diagnosis with someone and they can um, recommend different therapies and treatments and things like that. I'm also working on a, an online class right now that I'm going to uh, sell hopefully in a bundle. Um, but right now I have three of the courses done. Basically, like if you got a fresh RAD diagnosis, it would tell you what is RAD, what you can expect, um, how you can change your mindset right away. Because um, I, like I said, that one took me a long time. I'd love to shorten the curve for some people. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook, and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Um, but the rad advocates, they also have, you know, resources about, 
um, residential treatment centers. We didn't actually do that for our child, um, but it was on the list if we had needed it. Um, yeah, there's, there are some rad experts out there, um, but I think we need more. We need a lot more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, Cheryl Ruscio, when she told her story, it's close to the end is when she finally found Red Advocates. Mm. And that they, they were a great help for her. And so I'm familiar with that, at least. Um, I assume when you get the online class done, that'll be on your website somewhere. Yeah. And I, actually, I have I have three done. So I'm trying to decide if I should just release those three and then work on the rest of them. I got a full time job during COVID. So it's kind of <laughs> made my uh put that on the back burner a little bit so did you have a full-time job whenever you were going through the thick of it with your son um i I didn't and i lost a lot of jobs um especially in that like right when puberty hit that's when i decided it would be time to go back to work because he was just a little bit older and we found a nanny and oh my god i tried working a full-time job and I got calls from the school every single day and he went through a phase where um, his anxiety was so bad he would make himself throw up if there was a test, if any kids were picking on him, if he if he didn't answer the question right in class, he would lock himself in the bathroom. That kid was in the nurse's office every single day of fifth grade, I think, and I had to pick him up almost every other day. <laughs> so, wow. Jobs don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. My, my job gets a little frustrated. I think sometimes when I have to take off for a sick kid, I can't imagine right. that often of a of an incident not causing some real work problems. Right. And I had I had the kind of job where I could take my computer home and do it. Um, I was developing online classes for a company. And, um, you know, my boss was great. But after she left, um, she went to another company in another state. And uh, the, the people that I had over me after that were not as understanding. They were like, no, you need to be here. Like, really? <laughs> I'm still getting my work done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, like 14 years ago, I started teaching um, community college just one or two classes at a time. Um, it was three miles from home. It was three miles from school. It was three miles from the other school. So I was right in between all my kids. And, um, and my boss would give me like a two-hour shift in the middle of the school day. And then if the school did call, I could say, I'm almost done. I'll be there in, you know, half an hour or whatever. So that worked well, but I didn't make a lot of money. So, yeah. <laughs> so now I have a full-time professor position and actually have a real salary. And I can hopefully get out of debt someday from all the therapy we've had to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if anybody's looking for those classes to pop up, your website is loveneverquitsbook.com, right? Yes. That's correct. Good deal. I want to make sure people can find it. And anything we talk about in here, I'm, I'll be certain and put it in the show notes so you guys can, who are listening can find it. And um, every now and then, some of the different podcast platforms, the stuff goes a little bit wonky and the links don't work. If you have any issues with the links, just go to uh, fostercarenation.com and you'll find it. You'll be able to click on the podcast notes tab there and just scroll down to you'll find Gina's episode. Click on it and inside there will be all the links. So I'll make sure they work there. Um, so you're you're a college professor? 
Yes, I teach interior design. Interior <laughs> design. <do> with rad. <laughs> <laughs> Unless maybe you have a rad kid who's torn the house up a time or two and you get a lot of practice redesigning. Oh, yeah. It. <laughs> well, we, we didn't have the money to do that, but we're doing it now. I actually have contractors in the house trying to fix some holes in the walls. And <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to have them come to my house, I have a couple holes I need to fill this well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we all do uh, over time. Eventually, somebody somebody does that for us. Um, so as you walk this journey and become a professional in the world and and you see, you see your son's life changing, you know, what does that, what does that do for you as you look back across where you came from and the the trauma and the pain that you've experienced and seeing him become a a successful human? I cannot tell you how proud I am of this kid. I mean, he's the one that put in the work. He's the one that, you know, dedicated his life to trying to get better. And I, I just, I'm so proud of where he is right now. He's, um, he's, you know, in the band at school and he's hoping to either go to culinary school or um, actually he wants to do both. He wants to go to culinary school and become a psychologist. <laughs> so he said one of them's going to be his major and the other is going to be his minor. But um, we, we had his um, we had his hands read, which is really an interesting experience. Um, the lady who does this, she's not a palm reader; she's a scientific hand analyst, and she had done my um, hands and told me I had to write a book and become a speaker. So she was she, she could pick out your gifts and talents, and she told him he has a real gift for helping people. So. He's, um, it's kind of cool. I'm trying to do whatever I can right now to help him build his self-esteem because when you've spent, you know, 15 years being the bad kid, it's, it's really hard to come back from that. So we're, we're working a lot on trying to, you know, point out all his good traits and, you know, showing him where he came from. You know, he's like, I don't want people to know that I was the bad kid. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I said, you're not that anymore. I said, you know, the Rolling Stones trashed hotel rooms. You know, you trashed our house a few times. You're over it. You're better now. I said, be proud of where you're at and how much you've, much growth you've had. And don't worry about what you used to be. Yeah, because that oftentimes can become people's superpower is being able to tell people the real story of where you came from mm-hmm. and how you got to where you're at. So yeah. I guess I, I do want to ask another question because okay. this is one of the things that I have a hard time always wrapping my mind around how people get to that place. You adopted kid from, was it, was it Guatemala, both of them or both just one? Them, yep. Okay. So you adopted two kids from Guatemala and I, I know a lot of people who, who will come up with the, you know, there's so many kids in America who need help. We need to help kids here. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I can tell by your face alone that you've heard that more times than you <laughs> yeah. wish you had. And personally, I believe you. You know, we all have a calling. We all have a thing that sets our soul on fire, and and our job is to figure out what that what that thing is, and then go light that fire. And so, what was it about international adoption that really set your soul on fire and made you go all the way across the world to get two kids? <laughs> um. You know, at the time we had gone through years of infertility and, you know, some of the adoptions in the U.S. are a little bit less um, certain. You know, you're on a list for whoever knows how long until you get chosen by a birth mother. And, 
Um, and honestly, we were afraid of foster care because we thought we might get a kid with rads. <laughs> Not even knowing at the time what it was, we were like, "There's those kids have trauma. And, you know, so we thought getting a newborn from Guatemala would be a, you know, easier solution. Um, also, I was president of Spanish club in high school, and I just always loved the culture. And I thought, if we're going to adopt from another country, we need to adopt the whole culture, you know, like we need to have tapestries from Guatemala in our house, and we need to have Latin American foods and things like that. So, you know, I was really excited about adding a whole new dimension to our lives. And it's that part's been pretty great. Um, we actually go to a camp every year. It's called Latin American Heritage Camp. And it's for kids who were adopted from Latin America. But there's actually 11 camps through this Heritage Camps for Adoptive Families. And it's to teach kids about their birth culture. But there's also so much more to it that talks about adoption issues and discrimination and racism and things like that. So we've had this whole community for, gosh, probably 12. We've gone for 12 years in a row now. And, you know, we have other adopted kids that look like them that we're friends with and their parents look like us. And it's it's just pretty cool. And then I've had all these great role models who've had kids older than mine and can tell me what it's like to parent a kid going through puberty or, you know, what kind of adoption issues come up during um, the college years. We're, we're discovering that's coming up again. So um, that our, that camp has been really helpful for us well it sounds like you guys have done a great job with being certain to include some culture some history and not you know just kind of whitewashing over the entire backstory which is something i find really important in a lot of groups that i'm that i I look at where people talk about adoption trauma oftentimes that's a part of it is that they've had their their whole history erased for them and Was that something that you you started from the beginning just because you you found that that would you thought it would be helpful or did you find that along the way? We actually found it along the way. Um, we we had just moved to Colorado. We were out hiking on Mother's Day, and we came across another family that had a child that was internationally adopted. I don't remember from where, but we started talking, and they said, you know, um, oh, you just moved here. Do you know about heritage camps? And I said. I said, no, I don't. And they said, oh, well, it's too late to sign up for this year, but next year you need to go. And so I wrote it down. And um, that same year was uh, Landry was in kindergarten. He's my older one. And he was doing a project one day. He, this, this kid loved school. And one day they were doing a, a what do you call it? Self-portrait. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said, most of the kids in his class use the peach marker because they're all peach but he has to use the brown marker and it's too dark and you can't see his eyes or his mouth. So he was totally stressing about going to school because he didn't have the right marker. And I told his teacher, she postponed the project. She bought multicultural markers. She helped him match his skin color. Those were things I didn't even know existed. Like I didn't know to look for that. So once we got to, so after that incident, I was like, what was that camp those people told us about? We need to find out what else has kind of come up that we don't know about. So we immediately signed up for camp. And then the next year I became a director and I've just been really involved in the camp ever since. So that's been really helpful for us. And that's where we found our most supportive 
group is that, you know, there's a lot of kids with issues at camp. So if a kid's flipping out, we all understand and we've all been there. So it's, it's a really helpful group of people. Yeah. Finding a group of people who understand trauma on any level is incredibly helpful and valuable in your situation. I know you said you guys were, were kind of afraid of foster care because of the trauma. And, you know, you ended up in that same place, which just proves my point that I think God has a ridiculous sense of humor. And, <laughs> and so has your, do you have a faith component in your life? I assume you do. I believe you mentioned having gone to, to synagogue. Mm-hmm. So how, how has your faith really, really added to your experience? Yeah, I think, I think it's helped a lot. Um, our, our synagogue has been very supportive. My kids went to religious school and, you know, we informed them all about his issues and they were really understanding. In fact, when Maddox um, ended up at the juvenile assessment center, we had to go to court and he was on probation for a year and he had to do community service. And I was like, well, what can I do with a 12 year old community service wise and they suggested if you have a church, maybe see if they can do something. So I called our our rabbi and they were so supportive and they were like, okay, well, just bring them here for let's let's say six hours once a week and um, we'll put them to work. And it was over the summer. So he stuffed envelopes and put stamps on things and put books back on the shelf in the library. And I know they were doing construction, so he opened a bunch of boxes and he helped them put IKEA things together. And so that was his community service. But they were so supportive and helpful, and they didn't make him feel bad about it. They just, you know, um, they were just really great. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who have problems with idea the idea of religion. You know, that question of why would why would a good God allow this to happen always comes up. And, and how did you how did you deal with with that those thoughts of understanding what you were going through and and how your faith could could help you as a mother and as a woman? You know, I spent for for years I thought I was being punished for something I did. <laughs> and then I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what? We were meant to be his parents because we never gave up. I said and I, I research all the time. I mean, I'm a, I have two degrees, so or two master's degrees. I, I love school. I love studying things. So I just did a ton of research on my own. And, you know, I know a lot of other parents may not have done that. So I'm like, I think he ended up in the right place because we were going to help him no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And- so now I think, and, and I also feel like I learned a lot about myself in the process that you know, I did become a better mother. I did become more empathetic. I used to be a little judgy of other parents. And now I'm like, what can I do to help you? Because I know that this doesn't always go the way it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the what you're saying exactly right there. I have some pretty stark memories of when our older kids who were, you know, biological kids were very young. And being in the store and seeing a mom with a kid who's throwing a fit on the floor, having a meltdown mm-hmm. and looking at my kids and, and making those judgmental comments, you know, what would happen if you tried that, you know? <laughs> right. And I, and I, and I wasn't even cautious about whether or not they heard me. It was that, that judgment that look at what I'm doing. I'm doing this right. I'm doing this good. My kid doesn't act that way. Right. And so now when I see it, 
now when I see it, I try to always, well, first off, I have kids with trauma now, so I have to pay attention to that going on and whether or not that's going to be a trauma trigger with our own kids. But I also, you know, can walk by and at least offer a smile or ask if the, if I can help do anything, you know, do you, do you need a hand with anything? You know, um, I heard one woman who suggested just standing by and she, she was an older lady and she said, now I just, she said, I had one lady who, who was having a hard time with a kid who was just having a meltdown. And I said, can I help you with anything? And she was completely just exasperated at the situation. It was, she goes, no, I'm fine. And, um, and she said, okay, well, I'm just going to stand here while you, while you deal with your child, um, in case you need any help. And that piece of kindness really struck me because kindness wasn't a thing I was feeling in those moments when I was younger. And, and now that I understand it, I look at it and understand that I have that power. We have yeah. that power as to how we respond to people and whether or not we're judgmental or we're kind. Right. Yeah. And, and I've started carrying $5 gift cards for Starbucks. Um, I haven't done this so much since COVID because I'm hardly ever out anymore. But but I used to carry a couple extra Starbucks gift cards in my purse. And if I saw a mom having a really bad day with a kid, then I'd be like, look, I understand. Here, have this coffee on me. Um, and they're usually like so thankful that somebody gets it. <laughs> yeah. And, and and you're out there spreading that, that knowledge of your own experience. And that kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier, understanding that, that your, what felt like failures is, is your superpower now. And you can change the world using that, you know, what was a turning, <laughs> what was a turning point for that for you that, that made you realize that that's what you could do with this, with this bucket of trauma? Well, I think um, part of it was we were we were already past the worst of it. Things were getting better at home and we were actually starting to feel joy in our house, you know, like we're playing games with the kids on the weekends without big fights happening and going out to dinner and nobody would throw a fit and <laughs> things like that. So it was just I started feeling better. And then, like I said, I had this hand analysis done and she said, you should be writing and speaking. And I said, you know, in the back of my head, I've always thought about writing our story into a book. And I said, but I'm not a writer. And she said, oh, yes, you are. And I said, oh, no, I wasn't an English major or anything. And she said, it doesn't matter. You can tell your story. And she said, editors will help it sound good. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Well, now that, well, I guess, well, I want to make sure I don't forget to mention this. You have actually written your book. Yes. <laughs> and that's on the website we mentioned earlier and the love never quits book.com because the book is named love never quits, love never quits. <laughs> by Gina human. And you're going to misspell human. If you go Google search the book, it's uh it's human spelled funny. It's H U E M A N N H E U. Oh man. <laughs> I was so close. I know. <laughs> <Everybody> <laughs> that wrong. <laughs> That would be an easy one to misspell all the time. Um, So as you went through this experience, right, like this, this causes trauma in your own life for you and your husband to deal with. How did you deal with your own trauma while you're trying to figure out how to deal with your child's trauma? Well, honestly, I ignored my own trauma for the whole time we were going through our stuff with um, him. 
it wasn't until after the fact he was getting better and I, my anxiety was getting worse because I just kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, like, Oh, something's going to go wrong. Something's gonna... I was so anxious and, um, I finally saw a therapist and was diagnosed with PTSD myself. <laughs> and, uh, she helped me get through that with, um, a whole bunch of really cool techniques. And so my PTSD is, is better now. <laughs> so that's helped a lot too. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I mean, parents need right now, we're so lucky that the internet exists because there's like, you know, I'm in like five different support groups for parents of kids with rad. And that wasn't a thing when I was going through my stuff. And I was like, I would have done anything just to have somebody to talk to. And I remember I met a mom at therapy whose kid was having issues too. And we're still friends to this day because her kid's not perfect. My kid's not perfect. And we understood that. And we were like, okay, we can go out and our kids can not be perfect together in the park and nobody will care. <laughs> at least none of the important people care. Right. <laughs> that That's amazing that you, you learned that you need that support group around you. And I think so many of us are challenged by that because we're afraid people will judge us that we don't tend to build those supports. And when you start to talk with other people and you find out that, Oh yeah, by the way, I'm not the only person. Right. You know, maybe your child doesn't, isn't dealing with rad, but maybe they're dealing with a diagnosis that, that puts you in the same struggle and you're going through your own moment where your PTSD is occurring in your life. Right. And, and I agree that therapy is such an important option, you know, um, my wife and I, we have a guy we see on a regular basis, and I credit Dr. Tom with a whole lot of our successes because he's been able to talk us through a lot of things and help us through a lot of things that we didn't even realize we needed to work through. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the to the parents, you know, to the, the other moms out there, or God help us, the dads who think we don't need help, we got this, we're just going <laughs> to white knuckle, bear down, and we can make it through because we're big and strong. And <laughs> and, and we, we kind of halfway actually believe that a little bit, and we push against the idea of therapy because that's just woo-woo stuff, and, and we don't need that. You know, what, right. what do you say to the people who believe that? Well, you know, I used to believe that myself, too. And I think it, it really takes finding the right therapist for you um, because there are, you know, there we went through a lot of therapists that weren't a good fit for, for Maddox. And we went through a lot of therapists that weren't, I went through a lot of therapists that weren't a really good fit for me. And I just thought I'm not a therapy person. But then when I found the right person, when I found Michelle, she was, you know, she understood what I was going through and she sort of spoke my language a little better. So I think, you know, if you if you do try therapy, don't just put all your eggs in one basket. If it doesn't work, try something else. And there's different types of therapy, too. There's there's talk therapy and then there's um, uh, what is that thing called? Neurofeedback or right. Yeah, neurofeedback, where it can actually change your brain waves. Um, that's been very helpful for people with PTSD. Um, my therapist does tapping, um, which is very, um, very good for me. <laughs> so the EMDR. Yeah. Um, well, I did EMDR, but this is called EFT tapping. Okay. So it basically is a way that you you basically do a series of taps on your body while you're talking about troubling issues and it actually helps rewire the brain because you're tapping on the opposite side of the body so it's 
helping rewire things, I guess. I don't know. It, it really helped me with in just a few sessions overcome my PTSD. <laughs> that's amazing. It sounds like it's like it works similarly to EMDR, although that's yeah, eye movement. I've done that too. <laughs> so yeah, that that's incredible. Did your husband go with you to those therapy appointments or um, have his he own? Didn't. We, we did the RAD family therapy. So that was two solid weeks. It was four hours a day, five days a week, um, four therapists and all four of us. And we were you know, we tried so many different techniques over the two weeks. Like a lot of it was Aaron and I in a special room um, talking to, you know, two therapists while the kids were doing like art therapy and, you know, play therapy and things like that. But we had to go hash through our childhoods to figure out what triggers us. And I realized I had, I had a little bit of a challenging upbringing with my dad and like that affected me so much that um I didn't realize so I had to I had to heal from all of that before I could really help my son um and my husband he grew up with the cleavers you know like um on leave it to beaver like the mm-hmm. perfect mom and the perfect dad and <laughs> so he didn't have as much trauma to overcome but it really did also help him see where we are now and you know that that we're doing the best we can. And it sounds like maybe it helped him understand where you were coming from as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really did. And then the coolest part though, I have to tell you this part of the story. We had my son um, on our laps and he's a 12 year old and he's not small, but we're holding him like a baby. <laughs> and then the therapist had this flip chart and it had like on the first page, he said, let's just talk about how babies bond with a caregiver. And so we made like a list of, uh, or no, I think he started with what do babies need? And so we put, made a list of, you know, they need their diapers changed, they need a place to sleep, they need love, they need this, that. And then he'd flip to the next page and he'd say, well, let's talk about how babies bond with their caregivers. So then we talked about eye contact and touch and using a special voice and you know things like that and so he made that list and then he went back to um he said look Maddox this is what happened you got the things you you got fed you got your diaper changed occasionally (laughs) um he said basically your foster mom kept you alive she did some of the things on this first page but all the stuff on this second page she didn't do and it wasn't because you were a bad kid it wasn't because you were a bad baby. It was because she was a terrible caregiver. She was not capable of doing the things on this list. That is not your fault. It has nothing to do with you. Not your fault. It was done to you, but it's not your fault. And so after all this therapy, which was like an hour or something, <laughs> um, the therapist said, okay, well, we're going to leave the room. And here's what we want you to do. We just want you to hold him and be there for him. And when you guys are ready, we'll be in the hall. And I've kind of looked at my husband. And I was like, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do to get ready. I'm ready. We've been here an hour. And as soon as that door closed, my son cried like I've never seen him cry before for like 20 minutes straight. Cried and cried and cried and cried and then started reaching for us and started giving us eye contact and started hugging us and It was the coolest thing ever. And I swear to God, that was the catalyst of his change was just understanding that it wasn't his fault. It made a huge difference. (laughs) 
that's probably something that we all need to to really understand. Mm-hmm. You know, my my own wife went through her her struggle as a child as well, and it's taken a lot of years for her to understand that for her and and it sounds like his his trauma was significant mm-hmm. and that that's an amazing pivot point and yeah i don't know if you ever would have found that if you hadn't been open to new kinds of therapy no and that that was just i, I left there with like chills on my arm up my arms i was like that was the coolest thing i've ever seen and then the next day he had to pick a teddy bear off this giant wall of teddy bears and I knew exactly which one he would pick (laughs) and he picked his teddy bear and his teddy bear became him as a baby. And then with the therapists coaching him, he had to tell his story to, you know, baby Maddox and he had to give him hugs and cuddle with him when things got hard. And that was kind of giving himself some of that stuff that he missed out on in his early childhood. It was, it was a very cool experience we had. Wow, that's interesting that you mentioned that. We have a we have a one of our young sons who has um yeah, it's a little bit age inappropriate. He's a little older than what you would expect to see this, but he carries you know, a lot of kids carry around a blanket and all that, but he has a, a blanket that he has named Baby. Oh and he walks around and he kind of balls up the end a little bit and makes a head out of it and he talks to her and he tells her to behave when she's misbehaving. He he feeds her sometimes, you know, he, he does all of this, and it sounds very much like that. And it's one of the things that I've watched, and just the other day, Amanda and I were in a room, and we were, something was going on, and he sat there, and he's talking to this blanket, and I looked at him, I'm like, just shh, be quiet. I'm like, just watch, and we were watching, and and it was almost like he was busy trying to give himself his own therapy session. It was the most amazing thing to see come out of a five-year-old. And I sat back wondering, like, what is the therapeutic value of this? What, you know, <laughs> I, there's something here. I know there is. I can see it happening, but I don't understand it. And just to hear you say that gives me some hope that that what he's dealing with, because he's dealing with his own level and types of trauma, mm-hmm. but it's helpful for him. And I see that on a regular basis. You know, there are times when he wants to go play and he will come in here. I'll be in here working, doing something on the computer. He'll walk in and say, Daddy. I need to go help Turtle with something. Can you watch Baby for me? And he has this whole caregiver mentality that he's building at a young age. And hopefully that'll knock down that 10-year time frame (laughs) that you guys experienced. But it's so easy as a dad especially because, you know, going back to talking as a dad, right? Kids, the boys don't play with dolls. He's turned a blanket into his own little, little doll to carry around. And, you know, thankfully, I've experienced enough that, that I've just sat back and watch. And mm-hmm. and I'm so hopeful from your story that that there's there's some real value in it for him. You know, um, what was your moment of like where, where you first saw an inkling of hope that you no longer were counting the days till he turned 18? So, you know, you could, you know, strap on the steel toe boot and say, all right, we're done. <laughs> Because, I mean, if you have a teenager, I'm just going to say we all get there. I don't care if you have a neurotypical teen or not. You're going to get there with a teenager. That's just part of experience. Like, we were all that way as teens. I know my parents wanted to throw me out at some point. But what was that moment where you saw the first glimmer of hope? Um, You know, I, I really think that therapy was like where I said, I think this is really going to help us. and then. 
you know, then we, like I said, didn't think it worked for a, a really long time until we went home for Christmas. And that's when the family was like, oh, my God, he's so different. He's so calm now. And that's when I started thinking, well, maybe maybe he is getting better. And then then at school, um, when he graduated from eighth grade, he went to a very small school. Like, I think his graduating class only had like 30 kids. And so each of the teachers had a special relationship with a couple of kids. And so they each gave a speech about their that kid and their growth since they've joined the school. And and then he actually volunteered to give a speech at his school. This was the therapeutic school. And he told them about how angry he was when he got to school and how he couldn't be where he is now. And the kid's a good speaker, too. So he um, he gave this great speech that was very heartwarming and funny and, you know, made you cry a little. He's just he's really good at that. And that's when I was like, you know what? This kid could change the world someday. Wow. Well, coming from from a home where where mom is a TEDx speaker, I mean, that <laughs> he probably had some decent modeling there. Well, and that's that's one of the issues I'm having now is because my husband and I were both straight A students and our kids are not and our kids struggle with school. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, you know what, we do not need to um, make them get all A's. It's just not going to happen. Let's just help them do the best they can. And, you know, not every kid has to go to college. Not every person needs a master's degree. You know, my my other son is at um, trade school for recording arts. He's a DJ and he absolutely loves it. So I'm, I'm like, as long as they find something they love, that's all that matters to me. <laughs> amen. Amen. Cause one of the, one of the things we fall into oftentimes is having our kids future planned out for them. And I have one son, he is, he's 19 now this at 14, the boy could look me in the eye and I'm not a small guy today. <laughs> he's about six foot four. And wow. 260, 255, 265 pounds, depending on, on the day. And this kid never, if you handed him a football, he would drop it. He's like, eh, <laughs> I don't want that. I mean, I know the high school coaches were like drooling over this kid. He was over six foot when he was 14 <laughs> and he wanted nothing to do with sports. <laughs> and I made it a point not to push him into it because I knew it was a waste of time. But now we have another young guy well i call him a young guy he's 15 and as a freshman in high school he wants nothing more than to strap on pads which make the top of his helmet come up to the shoulders of most of the other kids and get out there and and just run into people and tear and and he's talented and he loves it and he has skill and talent and drive and he, he wants to push towards that and so i'm like okay if i was going on what i thought did made the most sense the big kid would have been a sport kid. This guy would have been doing something else, but that's right. not where they want to be. And just to, to be enough of a parent to sit back and learn what they're, they really want to do and then to support them in becoming that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a tall woman and people always ask me if I played basketball and I'm like, no, I, I have no talent with balls. <laughs> <laughs> any, any sport that requires a ball, I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Totally on that. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so to be able to find something for your kids that, that allows you to to really support them in their in their movement forward is is always incredibly helpful to uh, help them develop as as a as a really good kid. So what do you see for your for your future with your sons 
now that you've been through so much? Well, I think it's made us closer. We're we're a very close family now, and we have a lot of like heart to heart talks over dinner. I try to do dinner at the table still. My 19 year old is still at home because he's um can't afford to move out yet but <laughs> one of these days he'll be out <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about i have one yeah. of those and he is also 19 so i know the feeling what, yeah, what do you see yeah. what do you see um um maddox is your son's name right maddox is my younger one yeah, yeah okay so so what do you see his future looking like i i really see him changing the world somehow like i think he's going to become a psychologist and really get into rad but you know, right now he's not great at school. I think it's going to be a little bit later in life. Um, you know, I, I know, you know, not everybody knows what they want to do right away. <laughs> so um, I think this is what he eventually wants to do, but he's just not in the place to study that hard yet. But I think he will be. I think, I think it's going to mean something to him when he gets a little bit older. And I think for now he wants to go to culinary school and, you know, maybe he'll make me dinner all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so wonderful. I hate cooking dinner every night. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do I feed all of you? Can we just do pizza 24-7? Yep. And teenage boys eat a lot. <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am, they do. <laughs> I thought maybe that was just ours. So you and your husband at some point in the nearest future may end up being empty nesters. Do you have any plans to, to do anything else with, with kids in troubled places or you guys have other, other, uh, other ideas for, uh, for your future? Um, you know, I don't know right away because did you guys see the movie instant family? Yes. Oh my God. It's so good. If, if you have adopted kids or foster kids, it's so good. But when we watched that movie, I was like, we could go back and get some foster kids. And my husband goes, no, <laughs> because we did our part. We're done. <laughs> so, um, we will continue to help somehow. Um, you know, I'm trying to get my classes written so that we can offer an online class. Um, I'm, I went and, um, we had a law here in Colorado to make it easier to get access to residential treatment facilities for kids with autism or rad or different traumas. Um, I went and t testified in front of Congress. So that was really cool. And I've already talked to a bunch of the state representatives and if they want to do more laws regarding foster kids and trauma, I am here to help. <laughs> so I do hope to keep up the activism and help other families. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Did you have anything else that you wanted to make sure that we, we got in here before we before we get done? I don't think so. This was a great um, chat. <laughs> yeah. No, the only thing that I could say is, is please keep in touch with us. And when you get the, those courses and, and all that going on, please let us know. I know parents are always looking for help and looking for resources. Great. I will. Yeah. I just sent them to my sister-in-law because my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are planning to take in foster kids. And so I was like, you need to watch my classes for first so you know what to expect. And so she she said they're they're good. So I'm I'm excited. So I need to get that word out to more foster communities and hopefully we can help more families. Yeah, I'd love to take a look at it. That'd yeah, really I'll send awesome. it to you guys. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you so much. Yeah, because sure. you know, there's a lot of agencies out there in pretty much every county and every state that are always looking for for uh 
for resources like that to help parents because foster parent at your yeah foster parent attrition is a real thing most foster families leave the system pretty early because they don't know the depth of what they're getting into oftentimes and if we can help that we could change a lot yeah i think you're right and i think we need to educate them ahead of time absolutely when when we started we had no idea what we were doing you know yeah we (laughs) we went to the classes groups too and trying to help the casas so they know what's going on as well yeah i mean it was just, you know, we did the classes. We thought, oh, yeah, great. We're gung-ho. We're ready to do this. And then we got there and we were like, oh, wow. Not certain what we're doing here, but we made yeah. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and telling your story here, Gina. Thank you for having me. I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Gina's story. I hope you have gained some knowledge and wisdom that you can bring into your life and your families. Be sure you come back next week. We put up new shows every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj as well. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can help support our mission at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. And as always... You're so super awesome. I think you guys are good. Thank you for listening.